welcome to So That Reminds Me, our bi-weekly take on hometown news from Reminder Publishing. I'm Peyton North. And I'm Dennis Hackett. And we'll be your hosts for this week's podcast. Here at Reminder Publishing, we spend our days diving into the issues that matter to readers in our towns, from community policing and property taxes to school curriculums and zoning issues. We celebrate the opening of new businesses, the appointments and retirements of municipal employees, and record and review election results and impacts, and highlight community events and heroes. Our goal with this bi-weekly show is to share the hot stories in our newspapers and take you behind the scenes to share the process of how we bring you the news. Some weeks you'll be hearing from the two of us, some weeks you'll be hearing from our colleagues Chris Mazza and Tyler Garnett, and other weeks we're hoping to get all four of us on here for some healthy banter and fun discussions. So, without further ado, I figured first we could start off with sharing a bit about ourselves. Dennis, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, So, my name's Dennis Hackett. I am the Hampshire County Managing Editor now. That covers East Hampton, Holyoke, Northampton, and Amherst. Uh, Over my five years here, I have worked in Westfield, Northampton, Ludlow, and now I'm very excited to be taking the opportunity to go forward with our first ever podcast. And I'm really looking forward to the results. This is something that I've always wanted to do. And here's more about Peyton. I'm Peyton North. I am the executive editor with Reminder Publishing. I've been here for almost seven years, which is absolutely baffling to me. I started here as a freelancer in my senior year of college, just reporting. And I moved up through every position we offer in the editorial department. So it's been a very busy seven years. We've done a lot of expansions over the years. We've gone from two weekly newspapers to having so, so many more now. It's unbelievable. And I'm excited to be going up and working on this podcast and bringing the company into the 21st century. So what we'll do here, I think, is we'll just get into the biggest stories of the weeks in our communities. But first, we will have a quick break. We get it. You're busy, but you want to be connected to your local community. If you're not reading The Reminder, Western Mass's free weekly newspaper, you're missing out on the heartbeat of your town. Stay in the loop with all the latest buzz, from local stories to community updates and exciting events. It's all in The Reminder. Just log on to thereminder.com and dive into the hometown news you love. To subscribe to receive the reminder at your home, call 413-788-1316. Don't miss a beat. Your town, your stories, your community for over 60 years. The reminder, we are hometown news. Every month, Reminder Publishing's Go Local magazine features the best Western Mass and Northern Connecticut businesses with articles on new storefronts, coffee shops, restaurants, and more. Go Local Magazine is your resource to find the best businesses to frequent in the area. Go Local also features original recipes, how-to pages on festive crafts, a listing of places to go and experiences to enjoy over the course of the month, and so much more. Pick up Go Local Magazine at hundreds of businesses, banks, gas stations, and restaurants all over Western Mass and Northern Connecticut. Or check out Go Local Magazine at TheReminder.com. And we're back. Let's get into the top five headlines for the week. So let's kick things off with West Springfield's Mittenegg Elementary School is closing this year after a 4-2 to two vote. 
So Mittenegg's final school year is more than halfway done. The school committee voted 4-2 to to close the school and to reassign its students to Coburn and Tatum schools in 2024-25. to The vote happened after a year-long study by an ad hoc student population projection committee, as well as a public hearing on December 12, 2023, where more than three dozen speakers asked the committee not to close Mittenegg or to try to delay the process. Um, According to school committee member Diana Coyne, the school department has contemplated closing Mittenegg since 2005, so this isn't really anything new. It seems like the crux of the discussion for parents who came to speak at the meetings was the sense of community that Mittenegg has and their concern that that sense isn't as strong in Coburn and Tatum as their bigger schools. So by closing Mittenegg, they're feeling like their kids aren't going to have that same sense of community. School committee members repeatedly said that those schools also have a sense of community. There were four yes votes. That included Mayor William Raquel and two no votes, being Kathy Alvarez and Robert Mancini. Alvarez says she didn't think the community had enough time to respond and to process the proposal to close. And Mancini said the same thing, that the vote was taken in less than a month after the hearing and that it was too fast of a vote. Here's where I feel like it gets tricky. After the vote took place with the committee members, residents started to cast some accusations, saying that they couldn't trust the folks on the committee who voted for the closure. And I mean, Dennis, we see this a lot, all the time, where towns will have the process of the meetings, the hearings, and after a vote goes through, that might be just like a little controversial for people. They come out and say the town's not being transparent or that they can't trust the town. I mean, we see this all the time. And obviously that's not universal. There are times when the town might be less than forthcoming, but these meetings are all public. Like a lot of times people will just not hear about something because they aren't on the town forums or they aren't attending meetings or reading their local newspapers. Shameless plug. Um, So they're late to the party and then blaming the town when they aren't paying as much attention as they probably should. Yeah. And then one of the issues you really see with this a lot is that people aren't necessarily understanding of certain things like public comment or open meeting laws where these boards and committees are required to follow specific state guidelines in order to not trip over their own shoes or however you want to put it. But there's certain issues where they have to follow these laws or there's going to be fines or other uh, things will happen. But yeah, it's it's really difficult for these situations. I know personally I've seen a lot of these over the past year um, covering a lot of towns with different um, issues, whether it be a school superintendent search or projects becoming a planning before a planning board you see a lot of people unhappy with some of the decisions but not necessarily have been there along for the whole ride or really looked into the issue as much as it needs to be looked into when they see the final vote coming to a head yeah i agree Um, at the meeting they also voted five to one to start working on an application to build a new elementary school in town to replace memorial and tatum Um, if the town council votes against this when it goes to town council, that is, it wouldn't change the closure of Mittenegg because there's enough room at the remaining four elementary schools to accommodate. But really where the heavy hitter was with this was that when the schools consolidate and Mittenegg closes, the school currently has 22 teachers and only nine will be needed to go over to the other schools to accommodate for the increase in enrollment. So a committee member did explain that though the teachers who lose their jobs will not necessarily be current Mittenegg faculty, as those with seniority can bump younger teachers if they choose to seek a position elsewhere in the district. But that's definitely a big factor why I'm sure residents were upset as well, because it's it's getting rid of a lot of people's jobs too. So yeah, it's definitely a touch, touch, 
tough one. It'll be interesting to watch and see how this goes down. But yeah, I think this is just one of those things. Clearly, they've been talking about this since 2005. I mean, it was bound to happen at some point. It's unfortunate, but it's not unheard of. I feel like a lot of districts are having to consolidate in this way. So next, our next topic moving along is the East Longmeadow Planning Board meeting that just took place the other night. And I have to say, I chuckled when I read the first sentence of Sarah's article here because she starts off saying, to quote the late Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. <laughs> the East Longmeadow Planning Board revisited a site plan review for a controversial proposed warehouse at 330 Chestnut Street at its January 16th meeting. The project's been debated for years at this point in 2022 and 2023. I spoke with Sarah a little bit about it just to get some more backstory. But basically, she said the warehouse will have four potential businesses within it, and they don't know what those businesses are. So they're just building the site, and they don't know who's going in at this point. Um, It's pretty much anything that's been proposed at that site has been consistently opposed by people living at the Fields at Chestnut condominium, which abuts the property. And back in June of 2023, the site plan for 330 Chestnut was approved by the planning board and then later reversed and denied it. And as a result of that reverse, the applicants brought the appeal to land court. I mean, it's a hotly debated item when the member of the board, as I was reading the article, um, before the meeting even begins, I believe it was Russell Denver. I didn't uh, double check, but I think it was Russell Denver who said, if you all can't behave, like you're not going to be able to speak. So... They clearly have had some significant discussions surrounding this. Um, There were a bunch of lawyers who attended on behalf of the applicants, the redevelopers, and a lawyer representing Fields at Chestnut Condominium Trust. One resident actually did disagree with the folks who opposed and said he didn't have sympathy for the Fields at Chestnut residents because they knew their property was in an industrial zone when they purchased it. Because the hearing took place during a snowstorm, they opted to continue the hearing to February 20th to give more residents a chance to attend. Something we see all the time in our communities is the difficulties residents face when it comes to not wanting their tax rate to increase, but also not wanting to lose their small town charm and feel. So residents always oppose projects like this because of the increase in traffic or noise or things like that. But then we'll turn around and complain that there aren't enough businesses in town to keep tax rates lower. So it's like kind of shooting themselves in their own foot. I mean, I hate to say it. I understand I would be upset if there was a warehouse being built in my backyard, but I don't have industrial property in my backyard. So, I mean, you win some, you lose some. But, I mean, this happens in all of our towns across the board, for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things that I recently covered, uh, mentioning the planning board previously, um, there was a big uh, hubbub about a development in East Hampton a couple of months ago where they were, um, in the course of the, it was really over the course of a whole year, where they were talking about putting in a new development uh, that would have a gymnastics facility, uh, residential buildings, and all sorts of stuff. Obviously, a warehouse isn't on that same kind of scale, but people really come out in droves to say, hey, how is this affecting the kind of, I forget what the, I can't really put a word to it, but kind of the nature of where we live and how is this going to affect it going forward. Mm-hmm. And almost every single time um, there's always some kind of disagreement about what is going in, yeah. how the developer is working with the people abutting the area. Um, but again, it's one of those things where 
maybe not in all cases you're in industrial air, in an industrial zone, but um, that's definitely something to be aware of that right. could happen. It may not have happened when you moved in there 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but because the zoning is there, it's something that could happen at really any time. Yeah, it's like the traffic, the safety of kids in the area. Like, what kind of business is this going to bring? Will it be family-friendly? That's always just... And I get it. Again, I mean, I'd be concerned too, but at the end of the day, your taxes are going up, you're upset about this, but you can't keep opposing businesses that are going to help with your tax rate and lower them. So, I don't know. It's a catch-22 for sure. So we'll be right back after a few short messages. Are you planning your second act? Working on your bucket list? Investing for early retirement? If you've hit that point in life where time will soon be yours, let Prime Magazine be your guide. We're all about staying healthy and fit, keeping up with tech, traveling, local entertainment, managing finances, caring for your kids and elders, and much more. Pick up the latest copy of Prime Magazine every month. Prime, your best life now. Bring It Home Magazine takes the best in the home renovation or home building business to your door. Featuring countless local businesses, Bring It Home helps Western Massachusetts and Connecticut homeowners, both new and seasoned, find the best of the best to suit their home's needs. The magazine is host to articles on local businesses explaining the latest trends from outdoor necessities to indoor design. For advertising information or to view Bring It Home online, go to thereminder.com. And we're back. Let's get into our final three topics. Looking at Ludlow now, for the fifth fiscal year in a row, it looks like Ludlow Public Schools may not be getting a level service budget. While the anticipated need to reach level service is uh, was $2.5 million or a 7% increase, that actually came in a bit lower at 4.8% or $1.7 million. But the schools are only anticipated to receive about $1 million from the town, um, which equates to about a 3% increase. And Superintendent Frank Tiano said that that is going to likely result in a $646,295 shortfall, which would also be 1.8% below level service. This, Like I said, this is not a new thing. Um, in FY24, the district eliminated 22 full-time positions. In FY23, the district was going to cut 14 but at the time used one-time elementary and secondary school education relief funds, which are also known as ESSER funds, to fill nine uh, positions to meet English language and special education requirements. This is something that was brought up ever since the coronavirus pandemic, where once aid started going out, schools were given funds, but at the time and ever since then, it's kind of been a recurring theme where the whole issue has been, these are one-time funds. These are not funds that are really sustainable for long-term positions um, and hiring. And as you, like you're seeing here with Ludlow, a lot of these towns are coming to a point where they're not getting enough funding for their schools, and they had to use these really in emergency situations just to meet service. I mean, especially looking at Ludlow having to fill positions to meet at like educational requirements. And this certainly is not an issue uh, specific to Ludlow. In a lot of the towns I've covered for since this whole thing happened. I can't think of one town that's just feeling good about their financial situation with the schools. Every town, it seems, is coming back with a huge deficit and having to fill that. Because, like you said, the funds, I mean, the relief funds were super helpful, but they're gone now. So they're all scrambling to figure it out. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you look at cities like Northampton, um, a big issue there has been the budget shortfalls coming up for this year, which look like they may hit the schools pretty heavily. But looking generally at the budget line items, uh, committee member Jeffrey Stratton said that the biggest expenses or the biggest increases are coming from salaries, transportation, and district tuition. Salaries, it's looking like a $1.7 million increase. Transportation is just about $224,000, and then the out-of-district tuition is $192,000. Stratton kind of explained that for the general budget, 75% is usually uh, salaries, 6% is transportation, and 10% is out-of-district tuition. And then looking back at uh, the previous fiscal years, they've been under-level service by 286000 in FY21, $1.1 million in FY22, $1.8 million in FY23, and $1.5 million in FY24. Um, this is one of the first steps in the process. Superintendent Tiano said that the plan was to host another budget presentation on January 23rd before a public hearing on February 13th. And to kind of fill that time, Tiano said he was reach- reaching out to departments principals and administration to look at ways to make some reductions before coming back with another uh, presentation. And then moving on to Palmer, they recently announced some of the non-town council members of their uh, town manager screening committee. Uh, For those who are unaware, former town manager uh, Ryan McNutt resigned back on October 26th. Since his resignation, Robert Reed has served as the interim town manager. Applications closed for this position on January 14th. Um, Those were due to Community Paradigm Associates, uh, which is the firm helping Palmer conduct the search. And the new members, screening committee members, include uh, Police Chief Christopher Burns, Residents Dave Golden, and Roger Fortune. They were initially supposed to include the uh, town council members at this meeting to be on that committee as well. However, a couple of members were absent, so they delayed that decision for who will serve on the committee to January 18th. And then one interesting note with this is uh, Ryan McNutt, he is actually a finalist for the Hamden uh, Town Administrator and Southampton Town Administrator openings. One thing we've kind of seen recently is a lot of, not necessarily town council members, but or town managers rather, um, but positions of power in a lot of these towns have really kind of been in a vacuum where you see people um, not necessarily sticking around or retiring or just moving on to other things. And you see that there's really kind of a void where it's difficult to kind of fill these positions these days. Yeah, there's been just a huge shakeup in so many of the communities when it comes to, like you said, the, the people in the positions of power. Some of the mayors aren't coming back for re-election. Town managers are moving on. They're finding another job. They're retiring. And a lot of our local communities, the Western Mass communities that we're covering, are struggling to find someone that fits the bill for the job. It's a big job to be a town manager, town administrator. I mean, for instance, East Long Meadow, two years ago, three years ago at this point, I don't even know. It was so long ago when Mary McNally announced that she was resigning. She was going to retire. It took them two years, I think, to find someone this year or this past year in 2023 to fill her position. And they did two different formal searches. They spent so much money and they ended up with someone who's doing the job. And that's great, but it took forever because there are just so many obstacles. Some towns aren't able to have competitive enough salaries for these people. They can go and make more money out east or there are just less people who are interested in these positions. And I mean, you can say that for a lot of jobs these days. 
a lot of people are just, you know, they're looking for different work and it's uh, it's too bad. It's interesting because there's really just so many open positions like this in our communities. Yeah, it's, it's almost kind of sad sometimes because you look at it and you'll see, oh, a certain number of candidates applied and then you'll see half of those candidates withdrew or they weren't eligible for the position or something like that. And it really leaves uh, towns kind of scrambling to help, you know, keep their administration going and really continue the work that they do to for their residents and everything. Yeah, I'm curious. I don't think we ever even received a real answer on why Ryan McNutt was resigning. I don't think we ever were able to get to the bottom of that. It was a little bit abrupt. I know Lauren had Lauren LaBelle, one of our reporters, had just done a story with him talking about this next year and plans for the town. And she was even surprised when he resigned. So, I mean, we see now he's looking for another job in Hamden or Southampton for their town administrator opening. So maybe he was just looking for something different, which is valid. He had been with the town for a while in Palmer. But I'm curious to see how that shakes out for him and where he winds up. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely raises some questions about what had happened there and what kind of the reasoning is for moving forward. But as with everything, we'll see how it goes. And then uh, looking at Springfield, uh, Springfield's Performance Food Group is looking to expand its operations with a bigger facility now. So at a recent city council meeting, they met with representatives from the Performance Group Food Group, met with the city council to discuss a uh, tax incentive financing or a TIF agreement. And just a little bit of background on Performance Foods. They've been around in Springfield for about 50 years, um, and they've supported local vendors like Big Y, Frigos, uh, the Big E, even the University of Massachusetts, and really more as a food distributor with uh, all kinds of food products from not necessarily food products like mops to custom-cut meats and everything. And when speaking to the uh, on the expansion uh brian connors who's with the springfield office of planning and economic development called it a very uh significant project and it's expected to be a 117,000 square foot expansion and it's estimated to be an investment of 31.7 million dollars and is also expected to create 350 jobs with an average salary of seventy-four thousand dollars per person and the plan is to really use local labor to construct the facility and use local hiring agencies uh, like Mass Hire to focus on hiring people in Springfield and in the surrounding area. And Vice President for Performance Food Group, uh, Tammy Gardner, said that the expansion is expected to give them about uh, 50% more capacity. Currently, they employ 565 people. A quarter of those are Springfield res- residents, and the company says that it funnels about $42 million in payroll into the local economy, which with this proposed expansion is expected to increase to $68 million. And one of the things with the discussion around the TIF was that while the TIF is in effect, the company is expected to contribute an additional $2.1 million in property taxes per year. Um, And then once that's over, the the anticipation is that they'll be paying $1 million per year. And then um, Gardner also called this a win-win for the city, and the council ended up unanimously approving that expansion. What an interesting contrast this is between, we were just talking about East Long Meadow and how they're up in arms about a warehouse being built, and now we've got in Springfield a 117,000 square foot expansion with such a commitment to the community and talking about this big investment. They're already invested in the community and even more invested now, creating 350 jobs with nice salaries 
East Longmeadow could be getting in on this on their own in some way. I mean, we obviously don't know, again, what the business would be, and that's another layer, but I mean, the amount of money that they're contributing, Performance Foods, that is to the tax base in Springfield, it's an interesting contrast seeing how Springfield's just it's seemingly receptive to this. I mean, we don't have a lot on public comment here, but it's uh, it's interesting to see the two towns' reception. Absolutely. And uh, I was thinking about this with the East Longmeadow um, warehouse as well. Uh, you look at it, I think it really comes down to how the developers really portray themselves to this city and uh, the people they're going to be working with and helping out in these cities. I think a good example of this as well is uh, in East Hampton, there's another um, development going in there about some residential uh, housing, about 14 housing units off of one of the roads there. And one of the things that came out very, very quickly between the first and second meeting of these, of the developer and the planning board and the residents was that they were working together. Um, they were listening to residents' concerns and they were um, moving forward. So I think that definitely kind of good faith working really helps with residents to be a bit more accepting of what may be uh, coming into their neighborhood. Yeah, for sure. And in this case, I mean, Performance Food Group has been there for how long? Of course, they have this rapport within uh, the community and they understand the work they do. So it's less of a shock and a big deal than new businesses coming in and what that looks like. So you're right, there is a standing relationship there. And if they can really prove that to the community, then great. Um, So that is definitely a factor. Good point. Plus, I don't really know how you can complain about a business creating 350 jobs aimed at local people. Yes. We'll see if that's actually what they end up yes. hiring, but that is an ambitious <laughs> goal that you before, don't really yes. see. Yes. Those were our top five stories of the week. Of course, our reporters covered copious stories this week, so for more of our local reporting, listeners can go online to thereminder.com. In future podcasts, we'll be able to have additional segments. We look forward to welcoming reporters into the fold to talk about the work they do, the behind-the-scenes elements of a story, and even welcoming local politicians to the hot seat to talk about what they're working on. For the Reminder's 60th anniversary, which we celebrated in 2023, we had a campaign in all of our weekly newspapers where we offered a free full-page ad to 60 nonprofits, one each week, giving them the opportunity to showcase the work they do. We believe so strongly in the work of the local organizations surrounding us, and we hope that this podcast can be an extension of that where we can welcome local nonprofits into a spotlight segment in the future so they can share with listeners the work they do and their needs. But first, we got to get a handle on this. We've got to make sure, you know, we know what we're doing up here and don't look like amateurs. So <laughs> We most certainly are amateurs. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, look a little bit like amateurs, but it's been fun. So with that, we wrap up our first episode of So That Reminds Me. Thanks so much for listening. Um, and we'll be back with another episode on February 2nd. Thanks for listening to So That Reminds Me, produced by Western Massachusetts news source Reminder Publishing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, find the latest news at thereminder.com, and follow Reminder Publishing on Instagram at Reminder Publishing, on X at The Reminder MA, and on Facebook. Reminder Publishing, we are hometown news.